is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're in our Secrets of Successful Living series, and we're still dealing with the topic of making our ambition to please Him. I, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't be uh, upset to stay in this one for the next, I don't know, 40 or 50 weeks. I like that thought, don't you? Making it our ambition to please Him. Wow, that's good. Well, anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through verse 10. We're really focusing our attention on verse 9. It's kind of the kickoff point. But he says here in the passage, For we uh, know that if our earthly tabernacle... Well, let's stop there and go back again. I wanted to make sure I was in the right chapter, so I was looking down trying to, from memory, do that little phrase. But anyway, here we go. Now I know we're in the right place here. I thought I was in the wrong Corinthians for a minute. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that something, huh? 
I don't know about you, but for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. I don't know about you, but to be frank with you, when I get to the place where it's time for me to, well, some might say check out, take that next journey, I, I pray and I ask God that, honestly, that I would be, as he puts it here, that I would be desiring to be clothed. I mean, that, I mean, honestly, that the grace of God would be so great that I would just be like, you know what? I can't wait. I really do. And again, I know that we only get grace when we need the grace. But the point being is when that time comes, I'm, I'm asking the Lord, may, may I just be like, hey, come on, Lord, come quickly. I really, I mean that. I want that. Now, I don't know about you, but I do. Now, he goes on to say in verse 3, If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. What he's saying is, real simply there, we're not excited and nor are we anxious uh, you know, about being unclothed. No, I mean, lose it. it isn't about dying that I'm excited about. It's about living. That's what he's saying there. It's about the life that we have to look forward to. Well, that's good. He goes on, therefore, verse 6. Well, verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that, Whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in His body according to that He hath done, whether it be good or bad. We focus our energies and our focus, our, our, our thoughts on verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, in previous lessons, we have said and have, I guess, on a number of occasions, repeated that every believer's goal ought to be to please God and that there could be no greater ambition in this life than to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also noted the conditions that are necessary in each of our lives in order to please God. And we said, number one, we must be born again. We said, number two, we must separate ourselves from all sinful and doubtful things. Number three, we must dedicate our lives to Him. Number four, we must be good witnesses. Five, we must be obedient. Number six, we must have faith. Number seven, we must be large-hearted. So these topics will now kind of set the stage for the present lesson. They kind of laid the foundation because now we want to look at the results of a life lived pleasing God. And we want to try to understand in the end the motivation which would constrain us or, or, or end up moving us to please Him in, in, in everything we do, say, and think. So again, tonight, we want to kind of look at this idea now. What are the results of pleasing God? You know, we know we're supposed to. We know it ought to be our greatest longing and our greatest desire. It ought to be our greatest ambition to please the Lord. That's the truth. Are people freezing in here or what? Turn the, I don't know why, but I feel cold air up here too. It's cold down there too? No. Okay. 
Larry Green says it's perfectly fine. He don't care about none of the women. Oh, I shouldn't have said your name. It's all over the world now. Okay, so Larry Green says, too bad, ladies. But I say, I'll take the ladies. Like Brother Jack Howe said, I'll take the bus kids, okay, ladies? I'm standing up for you now, okay, see? All right, so anyway, (laughs) thank you for letting me be the good guy. So nonetheless, we'll get that worked out, and hopefully by about the time the service ends, you'll start finally feeling fold out. But so what are the results of pleasing God then? Because we know we ought to make it our purpose in life to please Him. It ought to be our greatest ambition. Well, we're going to talk about what are the results of pleasing God. It's worth pleasing God. It really is worth it. And so we're going to take a few moments and consider that this evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for just giving us the privilege to gather here tonight. Thank you for these that have made their way to Community Baptist. Father, I uh, ask that you'd fill me with your spirit. Lord, what a blessing it is to take the word of God and open it up and to be able to view your truths and then to internalize those truths and ultimately live them and then to be able to experience the blessing of living a life that pleases you. God, help us to truly have that great desire and longing, but then also, Lord, to successfully navigate in this life doing just that. Oh, we understand there'll be pitfalls and there'll be some obstacles along the way and being flesh, we'll struggle at times, but Lord, may our great ambition be to please you. Now help us, Lord, to understand and to see that it's worth pleasing you. It's worth living our lives to do so. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so what are the results of pleasing God? Well, let me just give you a couple real basics. And and when I say them, you'll be like, yeah, I knew that. And that's okay. You know, I'm glad you know that. And that's wonderful. But let's just take a moment and give some consideration to it. And be reminded, once again, why it's so important that we please him. First of all, answers to prayer. Answers to prayer. If you want answers to prayer, I'm telling you, we've got to strive, we've got to work, and we have to make it our ambition in life to please Him. Look in 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> the Bible says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, I'll tell you what, when we please the Lord with our lives or do our very best to please the Lord and are open to his leadership and allowing him to woo us and move us in the direction we ought to go, boy, I'll tell you what, it opens up doors to prayer and answered prayer. Whatsoever we ask, he says, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Someone says, well, I've prayed for some things and it didn't happen. I know God didn't answer my prayer the way I intended it to be answered or the way I thought it ought to be. I know that's the case at times. But may I tell you, sometimes God's going to tell us no for reasons. But the truth is, what I have found in my prayer life is when I begin to pray about things that, well, that I think are best for me that I believe would be best for others. What I find is if I'm consistent in that prayer and I continue to beg God and say, God, this is what I believe that is necessary. This is what would be needful. This is what would be best. God will begin to turn my prayers a little bit. 
God will begin to change my heart. God will begin to redirect my emphasis and my focus. And pretty soon what I thought I had to pray for and what I thought would be ultimately best in everyone's life, God begins to say, well, maybe that's not what would be best. And I, I might have a different plan and I begin to, my prayers begin to change. He changes something inside of me sometimes to where my prayer begins to change. Because see, God's not really in need of our prayers. We're in need of praying. And God uses prayer sometimes to direct our lives and to kind of steer us in the direction he'd have us go. See, you think you know what's best for you, and I think I know what's best for me. I I sometimes think I know what's best for others. And and the truth is, is that as much as we may be right at times, we always know one thing, God's always right. He always has the answer and the solution, and he always knows what's exactly the best avenue. He knows exactly what we need more than even we know. Again, this prayer is so important. If I want answers to prayer, if you want answers to prayer, then we must make it our life's ambition to please Him. And we must please Him then. It's not always enough just to want something. We have to do something. Someone says, well, I'm trying. Is trying alone enough? I'm trying to go to work today. But I didn't make it. Oh, are you going to eat? Are you going to be able to pay your bills at the end of the week? I tried real hard, though. And that ought to count for something. It may count for something, but it don't put food on the table. Now, again, I'm not trying to be critical, but listen, in our Christian lives, we can talk all day about trying to live for Jesus, trying to please the Lord, trying to read my Bible, trying to pray. But it doesn't do any good to try. You have to do it. Now listen, I know you have to have a desire, and someone says, well, my desire is to try. That's good, but then put that desire into practice. Outline a plan. Make up your mind that with God's help, you can and will do it. I don't know. Sorry, children, I tried to provide for you a good home, but we're living in a box under a bridge. (laughs) But I tried. You ought to give me some kudos for that. Oh, really? I'm sure the kids are like, great, Dad, don't worry about it. Didn't need a roof over our head anyway. Who cares? Shoes? Who cares? No, that's not how it works. you got to do something. And in our Christian lives, if we're not careful, we fall back sometimes on the idea we're just trying. And that's good enough. God knows my heart. Yeah, He does. He does. What I found is this. Most people I've ever talked to in my life, what they really try to do, they do. You know what I tried to do this morning? I tried to get up out of bed. You know what I did? I got out of bed. I tried to eat breakfast this morning. You know what I did? I ate breakfast. I tried to pray and read my Bible today. You know what I did? Prayed and read my Bible. I tried to make sure I was in church tonight for the teacher's meeting at 6 o'clock, but it was really 6.30, and I couldn't figure out why nobody was at the meeting. And then they reminded me that it was actually 6.30 when they all started arriving. 
So then I removed all those nasty things I said. But anyway, I, I'm just saying I tried and it happened. And guess what? You will too. Hey, by the way, you know what? If you want the, res- the result of pleasing God is answered prayer. I'm telling you, there's going to be a time in your life, a place in your life where you're going to need to get a hold of God. You want to be able to get a hold of God. Again, the verse is kind of a challenging verse when you really look at it. I mean, we like the part where it tells us the way to get our prayers answered. You know, it just simply says, you know, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Watch, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If we do those things that are pleasing, we get our prayers answered. What a wonderful truth. Hold on. It also explains why some of our prayers may not be being answered then. Maybe we're not pleasing him. Answers to prayer. Well, I'll tell you what. I think it's worth, pleasing, it's worth pleasing God. Just so we can get some answers to prayer, I think. Number two, not only that, but what are some of the results of pleasing God? Not only answers to prayer, but get this. You're going to love this one. Peace with our enemies. Peace with our enemies. You say, oh boy, good luck proving that one. Hold on. I can't prove it, but he can. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. Proverbs 16, 7. Now listen, we're not going to be ignorant enough to believe that some people, no matter what we do, are going to be cantankerous, angry, upset, mean, nasty. We, we understand that. We get that. But watch this. The believer is not responsible for the, re, the, res, the, the response of people. Only responsible for our actions and our attitudes. See, I can't control what you think and how you respond. What I can control is how I think and how I respond. Notice what it says here in the passage, and this is extremely interesting. But yet the Lord kind of tells us, he says, listen, not only am I telling you how to act and respond, but I'm telling you it will impact and it will affect even your enemies. Watch this. Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please himself. That's not what it says, does it? When a man's ways pleases parents. That's not what it says. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Wow. You know what he's really saying there is, is, is that if we will please the Lord with our attitude and our actions, there is truly a converse reaction, that something else is going to happen, that the enemies themselves, our enemies, those that may be tempted to be angry and upset with us and treat us poorly, they're going to struggle to do so. Now now watch what happens here. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Let me go ahead and read that to you. It says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is, venge- for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger... Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Now listen, that, can I tell you the truth? That goes so contrary to my flesh. I, I, I don't, you know what I want to do? I just want to get the hot coals and throw them on them. Let's just skip a few of the steps, you know what I mean? Let's just get to the nitty gritty. Let's just deal with it, right? But God says, no, that's not how you do it as a believer. You don't take literal hot coals and throw it on their head. You let me do that, he says. What I want you to do instead is I want you to live peaceably as much as lieth in you. I want you to repay their hostility with kindness. Well, I tell you what, that's a tall order. I mean, that's a difficult situation there. And yet sometimes if we're not careful, we can justify why we respond to people the way we do. We think that we're justified in hurting or harming. Hey, listen, you did that to me. I'll do something to you now. But that's not really the Christ-like attitude. Think about if Christ would have responded to you and I that way. Think about if he'd have came from heaven and he'd have came to earth the way he did and, and all of a sudden people would have treated him the way they did. What, what response and how, where would that have left us? We'd be going to hell. And he would have annihilated everyone. I, don't, I wouldn't even have been born. But he didn't respond that way. Can you imagine hanging on a cross that you created? People jeering you and mocking you and making fun of you and humiliating you, naked before heaven and earth, spitting in your face, ripping your beard out, putting a crown of thorns upon your head, being beaten with a cat of nine tails till literally the flesh was falling off of your back. Can you imagine with me? So distorted was your face that your vision, your visage was not even recognizable. And there he hung on Calvary, paying for our sin, Showing us kindness, mercy, and love. What an amazing picture. We being so selfish and self-centered. Look at God sometimes and say, well, you don't realize how much I've done for you. Can we ever even look him in the face and say that? And he asks us, someone's going to treat you poorly like they treated me poorly. I don't want you to respond to them in like manner. I want you to respond to them the way I respond to you. Do you know what that takes? There's one big word. It's a word that we have totally dismissed in the world we live in today. It's a six-letter word. No, it's a lot more than that. Don't let me get started on that again. I did that one other time and everybody laughed at me. How about if I just tell you what it is? Humility. So be humble. Don't judge me. (laughs) Humility. Boy, I tell you what, to do what he said there to our enemies, it it takes a humble spirit. Because you know what? Inside of all of us is that spirit to respond back. I'm not going to let anyone talk to me that way. No one's going to treat me that way. No one's going to. That's pride. That's not Christ-like humility. And you know what? We all war with it. The person in the room that's got that one figured out, well, I guess we all ought to call you Jesus. And I don't say that to be mocking him. 
I say that because that's how ludicrous it is to even consider the fact that we don't war with pride. So nonetheless, we're supposed to respond in this like manner. We're to be Christ-like in our response. And if, if we will please the Lord, if we will respond as He intends and as we will act out as He expects, then we will have peace even amongst our enemies in so many cases. It can be difficult. But the Bible gives us some instruction too. Number one, he says a soft answer is important when we're doing this. I, I don't know about you, but I've been in some situations where it got pretty heated. Where people lost their tempers. Where it could come to blows. But I'll tell you what, I remember that verse. A soft answer turneth away what? Wrath. Wrath. That's what he says. He says in Proverbs 51, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up what? Anger. You ever been in a battle, a verbal battle with someone, and it just keeps escalating? You know? You know what has to happen? Somebody has to be like Jesus. Somebody's got to go down here. You say, but then they're going to walk all over me. They're going to have their way with me. Who do you want to please more, yourself or God? I want my prayers answered. I want my enemy, I want peace with my enemies. A soft answer. Number two, he tells us to do good to them. And we, taught, we saw that already. We've already read it. Do good to them. I mean, are you kidding me? And then finally he says, pray for them. Can you imagine? You pray for your enemies? Yeah, we pray for our enemies. Lord, kill them. I was reading just today. I was reading an article today from uh, uh, a gentleman that uh, was writing, and he, he pulled up a, a, a quote from a preacher uh, further west from here, you know, not in this area, but kind of on the other side of the country was addressing and dealing with sodomites and that kind of issue. And he made some of the most alarming statements I've ever seen in my life. I'm talking about a pastor, supposedly. A preacher, supposed to be a man of God. Made statements about what they should do to themselves, like kill themselves. Because that's all that they should deserve. Let me tell you something. If they got what they deserve, that means we'd have to get what we deserve. Because we deserve the same thing, friend. And I'm telling you that sometimes if we're not careful, we think we're right. And that we sit on, you know, up here somewhere. At least I don't do that. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, Be careful how you pray for your enemies. And by the way, people that are struggling with lifestyle issues are not our enemies. I just, I wish I could, I wish I could get that across to that preacher. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. They need our love. We, we can't accept the lifestyle, but we certainly can love people. I tell you, be careful what your prayers are like. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You want to, make your, you want to have peace with your enemies? Well, please God. Please God. It'll go a long ways, I, I'm telling you. Number, finally, see under that one, the third point under that one, joy and gladness. We think about what are the results of pleasing God? Answers to prayer. Peace with our enemies. But I, I'm telling you, joy and gladness. You, you've lived the life. Some of you are living for Jesus Christ, I'm sure, if not all of us. I mean, really wanting to please the Lord at this point in your life. Don't you experience wonderful, wonderful joy and gladness? But I promise you this, if you're not pleasing the Lord, you can pretend, but you aren't. He says over in Hebrews 1.9, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Who loves righteousness more than God himself? And that's what he wants us to be, right? Righteous. We please him by living a righteous, holy life. You know what? You'll experience joy and gladness if you'll make a decision to do so. Well, I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to please God because there's so many benefits. The answer to prayer, peace with our enemies, joy and gladness. Finally, what are the motives which would move us to please him? What, I mean, what, would, what pushes us in that direction, really, as believers? I know we have, the, we have these wonderful benefits. That's a wonderful thing. But what really, really ought to constrain us, if you will, move us to pleasing God and making that our life ambition? Well, just two things real quickly. Our Lord's example and the outcome. Our Lord's example. Jesus' example and, and the outcome. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking, and I want, you to notice, um, I want you to notice what he says. In John 8, 29, he says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Isn't that something? I do always those things that please him. Wow. Now, I want you to consider a statement by the Apostle Paul in Romans. He goes on to say in Romans 15, 3, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. See, Christ was determined to please the Father above all else. That's what, he was, that's what his great desire was. To please the Father, even above himself, even more than himself. The result was a heart and a life determined to please the Father at any cost, and boy, I'll tell you what, he did just that. In Matthew 3, 17, here's how God responded. There at the baptism of Christ, we read and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I guess what I want to say is this. Because Jesus dedicated himself to those things that pleased his father, that's why God was pleased with him. And as we look at his example, we understand that although we're not God in flesh, we understand we're just human. We know we're going to make mistakes and we know we're going to fail at times. We know we're going to mess up. But hold on, what is our true desire? What's our longing? What is it that we really want out of life more than anything else? If it is to please the Lord, then I can guarantee you we'll find him being pleased. 
And that ought to motivate us. As we look at Christ and his example, as we think about the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, and we see how the Father responded to that, man, that ought to move us. It ought to constrain us, compel us. Finally, the judgment seat of Christ. Why in the world should I want to please God? What should move me to do so? Yes, the wonderful, I mean, let's face it, we've got these wonderful benefits when we please the Lord, no doubt about it. And we have this great example of Jesus Christ and how his dedicated life to pleasing the Father meant that the Father would be pleased with him. But also we need to remember there's a judgment seat of Christ coming, a reckoning day. In our passage here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now again, right before that, he says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, may we never discount 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad that that condition still rests on verse, t- verse 10. I'm glad that when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, those things that I've put under the blood that I've confessed to the Lord Jesus Christ will be gone. Let me tell you something, because we're going to stand before him, though, we ought to be very careful and very sure to please him with our life. Romans 10, 14, 10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He goes on in 1 Corinthians three thirteen: Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Let me ask you something. What if in a week from now you weren't here on earth? What if in a week from now I wasn't? What in your life would you be willing to give up understanding that eternity is just around the corner? I mean, if you really knew that in a week, I won't even be here, so what wouldn't be important anymore in your life? Sadly enough, I I know in my own life, if I'm not careful, I get so caught up in what's taking place right now. All I can see is today, tomorrow, the immediate. But he says the great motivation, one of the most powerful motivations in your life and in mine to make pleasing Christ our greatest ambition is to remember that at any moment... Our life on this earth could end. And all that would be left would be to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for it. How much of what we allow in our life and how much of what we do and say and how much of what we spend our time doing will truly benefit us at the judgment seat? I'm not saying that you have to spend 24 hours a day in church. 
I'm not implying that you have to read your Bible 24 hours a day, go soul winning every single free moment of your life. That's not what I'm implying. But just maybe, just maybe there's some things in our life that don't belong. distract us from the real truth. The real means, uh, the real end. And I just want to encourage you as you, we, we close this particular lesson on this issue of, you know, making, pleasing God, making it our ambition for life, our greatest ambition in life, that we'll start to ask ourselves, what would I change if I only had a week to live? A month to live? What about my life? It wouldn't seem so important anymore. I don't know. I don't know. I think that there would be some things that I would change, I think. I think there are some things I think are pretty important that I wouldn't think were so big and important. (laughs) There are some things that maybe I would allow in my life that I think I really need as far as physically, possibly sensually, that probably I wouldn't care about anymore because I'd know I'm going to meet him face to face. I certainly don't want to have to take that with me. And I wonder, what about you and your life? Let's deal with the things. Let's face the reality. Let's go ahead and really dig into our hearts and ask ourselves, who am I really? What am I? Let's take off the mask and remove it and get to the real nitty-gritty and who we really are and what we're really about. It's easy to sing in a choir. It's easy to come to church. Boy, to probe our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart, he says. Boy, will we be bold enough and courageous enough to tell God to search our hearts? That takes guts. It isn't easy to tell God to do that because you know he's going to pinpoint something, don't you? I know he is. But you know what? If we truly want to please God, then we're going to have to start asking him to pinpoint it because I want my prayers answered. I want peace with my enemies. I want God to do a miracle in my life. I... I think you do too. If you, you, you didn't, I don't think you'd be here tonight. Right? God help us to really give some thought to making Christ and pleasing God our greatest ambition in life. Father, we come to you. We thank you again.